0: Hello, and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. My name is Nick Sarars, and we survived the first weekend of March Madness. My uh, Monday podcast about Lafreniere and Kako looks a lot better after Kako had a really nice game on Monday night against the Sabres. He scored a pair of goals. If you haven't read My blog that went up on Gotham Sports Network, or the podcast version of that blog, which was published on Monday. It'll be the one before this one in the feed. I'd like to think I have some semblance of a clue about what I'm talking about when it comes to hockey. I really put a lot of time and effort into those deep statistical dives, trying to give the context behind the numbers you see cited. That's a great resource that advanced statistics in hockey and in baseball particularly give us they give us an understanding of how difficult or how easy a player has it when they're producing numbers. So we got a better idea of who's actually producing for real, who's struggling because they're having bad luck, and who's actually struggling. There are a lot of useful resources out there. Did a video on Twitter, which did quite a bit of, did some numbers, got some attention about see how it's calculated, that kind of thing. We're, we're working out here. We're trying to help make the public smarter about sports, and that's my main goal on this show. Aside from bitching about executives being bad at their jobs, that's why we're upper bowl GMs here. We're up in the cheap seats, and even we schmucks can occasionally get one right. That That's the ethos of this show. We're trying to make the discourse a little bit smarter. Today's episode, we going to be talking little NFL free agency, trade market, and just general draft stuff. It's been a few days. I haven't talked football since middle last week before the Giants signed Kenny Galladay, before they locked up Adoree Jackson. It's been a nice few days for the Giants. I'm going to talk a little bit about them, some of the moves that were made over the last few days, some of the people who are still available, the trade stuff we're hearing based on the draft, who is looking at what in the draft. And a little bit more just general football ideology stuff that I've had rattling around in my head for a few days in preparation for this episode. But before I get to the fun part, gotta remind everyone to please help grow the show. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please hit the subscribe button. Please go to leave a review, leave a five-star review, leave a written review. That would be nice as well can't complain. Those written reviews are very nice. Reading those, it, it makes it worth it. When you feel like you helped someone learn something, that, that's the reason I do this. If you're on Spotify, hit that follow button, SoundCloud, Google Play, Boom, Stitcher Radio, whatever podcasting service you use. If this podcast is not on a platform you use, please DM me. I'll get it up there pretty quick. It's not hard to get a podcast uploaded. All that said, I'll see you guys on the other side of the drop, and we're going to talk a little football. Alright, and with that, going to get on into it, and... The biggest story in football right now is an unfortunate one and it's the deshaun watson situation in houston he's been accused of sexual assault by at least 10 women um the last number i saw was 16 women had accused watson of some form of sexual misconduct one way or another it all fit a similar pattern where the women were telling similar stories where he had solicited their services as masseuses or individual contractors through Instagram had gone out of his way to fly them out. I know I read a little bit of the court documents that the the lawyer representing the accusers had filed. This is in civil court. You got to remember the difference between civil and criminal court. Civil court, someone will not go to jail, but the standard of proof is lower. It is not the beyond the reasonable doubt you see on court shows, it is a lot lower than that. And I'm not going to get into the legal aspects of this. I am not a lawyer, even though I have, you know, four LSAT textbooks that have been opened a couple of times behind me on my bookcase. I'm not a lawyer. It is important to get informed about this situation before you make any comments, before you sound stupid, before you say something like, well maybe they're all making it up. Just read the court documents wait and see what happens. there's no need to have an opinion on something you don't know the details of. Just be smart don't make an ass of yourself. There is someone in your life you know who was at, at least at least made to feel uncomfortable by someone else and might not have ever said anything. So when you say something like well all those women are making it up they're just trying to get the Sean's money. You know who's not going to see that? Deshaun Watson. You know who is going to see that? Someone in your life who might have been put in that kind of situation, and you don't want to do that. So just be smart about it. Everyone, please don't rush to the defense of an, accuser, of an accused. Let the victims have their voices be heard, and let the process play itself out. This is the biggest story in football because for much of the offseason, Deshaun Watson was the big the big fish in the pond. Teams around the league felt like he was available, even though the Houston Texans had said he was not available because Watson had made it very well known he wanted to leave Houston based on how the front office and the ownership had handled hiring the general manager, Nick Casario, and the head coach, David Culley. Watson wanted out. Teams around the league have made offers. I know I've heard from more than one place that the Jets had made an offer, that the Carolina Panthers had made an offer. I know that the 49ers had checked in. I don't know if they ever made an offer. There is an appetite for Deshaun Watson out there, even with these allegations, which there are more than a dozen now. Last I saw was 16, and the lawyer representing the, the accusers, the victims, said he had more women coming forward, so that number could easily be continuing to go up over the next few days. From a football aspect, I wouldn't touch Watson until these allegations, are, these accusations are settled, whether there is a civil penalty awarded to the victims of the assault or settled out of court, very different things, but it's important to be mindful of the victims in this situation that, yeah, I know we in the football world are just going to talk about Deshaun Watson because we care about football, but he affected those women, so it's important that their pain isn't just ignored for the sake of football. I read today that there are still teams with interest in Watson, even with these accusations. I read it in The Athletic today. I also heard it on The Dan Patrick Show. If I had to guess... I would assume Carolina is still in the mix. I would assume San Francisco. I would assume Denver. And I would assume the Jets are to a lesser extent. It seems like the Jets have kind of deviated off the path of trading for either Wilson or Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson and are pretty settled on selecting Zach Wilson with the second overall pick in the draft. So we have to wait and see how the process plays out. I will repeat that on Dan Patrick's show today, he himself said that he spoke to someone pretty confidently that if this situation were playing out during the football season, like this were August, September, October, what have you, Watson would be on the commissioner's exempt list until the NFL investigation played out and the civil process played out. That's pretty... That's pretty strong words. You get put on the commissioner's exempt list. That means you really, really messed up because the NFL is involved. means the legal process has to play out. I know this is a lot of me rambling and not a lot of concrete stuff. It's because there isn't a lot of concrete information out there yet. I highly encourage you to go and read the court documents that were made public. Go read what Watson is accused of doing. And then think about firing off that tweet about These people are making it up. That's all I wanted to say. The Watson story is an important story. It is the biggest story in football right now. And it's important. It's covered in a reasonable way. Now, transitioning towards stuff I read today, there were quite a few pro days. Um, Rondell Moore at Purdue had his. Najee Harris ran a 40-time. Mac Jones had his uh, pro day at Alabama. Uh, Najee Harris, of course, the anecdote that's been uh, told to death over the airwaves on radio and TV is that he was supposed to fly to Alabama for the pro day. His flight got canceled because of lightning in that area where he was leaving from. So he got in a car eight hours and drove to Alabama to be there to support his teammates because he wasn't participating in his pro day. When it comes to pro days, I like to go by the words of my friend PJ Clark, who's been on the show a number of times. He's one of the members of Boomer Bust, the draft show. It's a podcast entirely dedicated to the NFL draft year-round about college prospects. It is a very good listen. It's extremely digestible, easy to consume. They have both video versions of their show on YouTube where they have game tape, and then there's just the audio version, which you can find on all your podcasting platforms. PJ says there are a lot of folktales this time of year, guys doing things that are pretty impossible at their pro days because they have friendly people doing either the hand timing for 40-yard dashes, they measure them a little bit more friendly, they get that extra inch or two on their vert. All of those little things that might make a prospect seem that much more enticing to a professional team. I will believe it when I see it. If there isn't a video, I'm pretty confident in saying I'm not going to believe it. I know Alex Leatherwood, the Alabama tackle, put up some preposterous numbers that there wasn't video of any of those things. I forget which NFL writer, it might have been Robert Mays of The Athletic, wrote that if those numbers were accurate, that would put Leatherwood in like the 96th percentile of all offensive tackles and physical traits ever. We're like, we're talking Trent Williams coming out of college 10 years ago, levels of athleticism, which is pretty remarkable for someone who stayed in college an extra year and kind of struggled in the sec at tackle. I think, Enjoy watching pro days and clips of pro days because I'm a football nerd. I get a little bit of enjoyment out of seeing guys in basketball shorts and T-shirts sling a football around because I desperately love and long for football season. If you told me that tomorrow teams who hadn't practiced yet or had training camp installs, walkthroughs, any of the stuff required to play a football game, if you told me the Bengals without Joe Burrow we're going to play the Minnesota Vikings tomorrow, you bet your ass I would go buy a a six-pack of beer and I'd be glued to NFL Network, ready to watch it, even though there were no meaningful consequences to the game. Football's just that much fun. When it comes to pro days, take everything with a grain of salt, and that's going to bring me to something I was going to talk about a little later in the episode, but it, it makes sense to transition and talk about here. This is the time of smokescreens and misdirections. It's always important to evaluate where news is coming from. If you see an NFL insider, you see someone who's on ESPN, NFL Network, who writes for Yahoo, The Athletic, any major publication, anybody who works for any of those places, you have to be thinking about where they got their information from, and you have to be careful of how they describe what they are reporting. Those guys are not always reporting news. Sometimes those guys are making informed predictions. They are making informed guesses based on stuff they've heard from people within the league. This is famously a time of year where stuff gets leaked out to test the waters to try and bait other teams into doing things. Several years ago, when the New York football Giants were picking second overall, and it would have made sense for them to trade down because they wanted to take Saquon Barkley, and teams around them wanted quarterbacks. Sam Darnold was in that draft, Josh Rosen was in that draft. There were a lot of pieces in that draft teams were interested in, and the Giants could have made a few extra draft picks out of that, traded down two to four spots, gotten an extra second-round pick and a first-round pick for the following year. But Dave Gettleman tipped his hand right away. He said, uh, you know, you got this great thing here. I don't want to trade it for a pretzel, some popcorn, a hot dog, all this stuff when I could have one good thing instead of a bunch of smaller things. Dave Gettleman does not do a good job of hiding his real intentions. The shrewd operators around the league, The people who want to manipulate other teams into revealing their hands, those are the teams that are floating stuff out right now. The Giants, not really in a position to be floating stuff out picking 11th. You know who should be floating stuff out right now? The Jets, the Dolphins, the Falcons, and the Bengals. If you are one of those five teams, you need to be leaking things out tactically to the right places. If you're the Jets and you're confident you want to take Zach Wilson, by all means, take Zach Wilson, start your rebuild, put him in a position to succeed. Don't do to him what you did to Sam Darnold. Trade Sam Darnold for a second-round pick as soon as you're ready to take Zach Wilson. Get that extra second-round pick in the building and then go from there. You're Miami picking third? You can control the entire draft. Because one of the teams picking a little bit later on, Denver, New England, one of those teams that is itching to get itself a quarterback, Carolina would also be fall into that category. If you have a team itching to get up there to get Justin Field or Trey Lance, one or the other, and you're the Dolphins, what do you need if you're the Dolphins? You could use a receiver. You could use an edge rusher. You could use a linebacker. There are four receivers good enough to go in the top 15 picks of the draft, and Kyle Pitts, who is a tight end, but for this take, we'll call him an offensive playmaker. So five guys who could realistically go there. You got to figure, there's going to be four quarterbacks that go before the Patriots pick at 15. You have to figure that Lawrence is going to go one, Wilson is going to go two, and then Field and Trey Lance are going to go somewhere else in the top 10. If you're New England, Are you sold on Mac Jones? If you're sold on Mac Jones, don't trade up. If you're Carolina, if you're Denver, and you want Trey Lance or Justin Fields, you got to be picking up the phone and asking what it's going to take for Miami to get up there to get him, to get one or the other. I don't lean too heavily one way or the other. I've gone back and forth. The Trey Lance tape is very fun to watch. It's very Madden-esque. He's so much more physically gifted than everyone else on the field because he's playing and North Dakota State. Fields I've been bearish on, especially how the end of the Ohio State season went. I know he really lit up Clemson in the semifinal game, but in the national title game, he clearly was a little bit dinged up, still hurting from that injury he suffered in the semifinal. And I really don't want to make this a referendum on the Ohio State offense. I've said it more than once on this podcast, but... I don't know how well Justin Fields will do in certain offenses in the NFL because of the nature of the Ohio State offense. It is a one-read offense where he is supposed to have one designated player on the field. They run a lot of option routes. That is true. So some that does require the receiver to make a break and choose what direction to go in. And sometimes they don't pick the right way. So it's not always Fields' fault that someone isn't open for him to throw to. But let's talk about this smartly. If you are Carolina, if you're Denver, you're New England, you're one of these teams that knows it needs a quarterback and you're not safely going to be able to get one you want in the range you're supposed to select in. you got to be picking up the phone and trying to find out what it would take and what you could realistically give up without setting yourself too far back. On the flip side, if you are Cincinnati, Miami, or the Falcons, I'd be leaking out there right now that I think we're looking at Trey Lance, I think I'm looking at Justin Fields, and then you gauge the reaction. You gotta try and drum up some interest in your pick. Look at the example the Philadelphia Eagles did a couple weeks ago with Carson Wentz. The Eagles were leaking out there that they had suitors for Carson Wentz, and Dan Patrick, who I watch every day in the background while I'm working on things because he does the best sports talk radio show on TV. I I like Rich Eisen as well, but Dan Patrick's is better. It's It's a little bit more newsy. He has scoops, that kind of thing. He said he had heard from sources around the league that nobody had made an offer for Carson Wentz and that the Eagles were doing that to try and drum up interest to get someone to come to the table to try and beat a fake offer that didn't exist. That's what the Dolphins got to be doing right now. They got to be saying, well, we like Tua, but if we think someone is available to play quarterback right now that's better than him, we wouldn't be opposed. Miami gets that out there. Yeah, they got to deal with how that impacts Tua, but then... You get someone beating down your door to give you the Carson Wentz trade offer, the Jared Goff trade offer, the Sam Darnold trade offer. Sorry, Jet fans. If you can beat someone into giving up a little bit more to get your draft pick, that helps. One of the things I mentioned in there briefly was if the Patriots are sold on Matt Jones, then by all means take him. It's a principle I've heard more than once now from not just one place, and it's really simple. Take your quarterback. Don't just take a quarterback. Take a quarterback who fits what you want to do as a football team. It's easy for us as fans, and yes, this is a real criticism of fans, you cannot say... It's fine. We'll just take a quarterback in the top five. Not every quarterback works in every situation. And I've really started to refine this point, both in the podcast and in things I've written. Quarterback play is such a product of the environment. Whether you want to just talk about the health of the locker room, where everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing, they're pulling in the right direction, the culture is positive, there's room for growth. People are allowed to make mistakes without severe punishment. Does he fit what you want to do as an offense? If you're a zone read running offense, do you really want a quarterback who's not good at play action? Do you Can you afford to have a statue? Can you afford to have someone who can't be under center? That's a real thing some of these teams are going to have to deal with. Someone like Justin Fields, someone like Trey Lance, someone like Mac Jones, those guys are rarely under center at the college level and have never been under center at the college level. And to run play action effectively, you got to be able to get some single back looks in there where the quarterback is under center so you can get him out in space and have better rollouts. It's a lot easier to get the play action motion of a quarterback booting to one side or the other if he's in single back because he has room to move back his feet, to shuffle back to like he's going a handoff. If a quarterback is taking a shotgun snap in play action, it's really hard for them to get out of the pocket and move. you got to mix in those single back looks. It's one of the things that the the Stefanski-Kubiak branch of the Shanahan tree is really good at is the under center stuff. And it's why those offenses still use fullbacks is because they have the under center stuff. It's really important you take a quarterback who fits. When the Jets took Sam Darnold, they thought they were going to be one thing. They thought they were going to be able to utilize his talents. It didn't work. Not every quarterback works in every situation, and that's fine. And some quarterbacks change with time. Guys get better or get worse as they're in an environment more. The Sam Darnold of three years ago on draft night, I think is a better quarterback than the Sam Darnold right now sitting on at his house somewhere in New Jersey or wherever his summer house is. I'm pretty confident in saying the Sam Darnold of three years ago coming off of a pretty good season. He'd be in the discussion to go second after Trevor Lawrence. Darnold was a really highly touted prospect coming out of USC, and I know the stink of the Jets in the last two and a half-ish years is on him pretty badly right now. I don't know if there's a market of a first-round selection out there for him. I know Adam Schefter had said that more than once this offseason, that he believed teams would be willing to give up a first-round pick for him. Probably a late first-round pick if you're a team like the Steelers, the Saints, maybe the 49ers, who thinks they're going to be picking in the 20s next year. I could see that because Darnold right now is still probably better than any quarterback prospect you would take in the twenties of next year. I mean, the quarterback class next year not nearly as good. I mean, I like Sam Howell. I'm weirdly intrigued by Brock Purdy, but there's no Trevor Lawrence. I won't even go as far as to say there's a Zach Wilson or a Mac Jones in next year's class. It's very early. I haven't really started doing my college football season research yet to get a better understanding of the lay of the land but let's circle back all of those teams who are in the market for a quarterback i know the falcons are supposedly going to be in the market to select a quarterback with the fourth overall draft choice start working on a long-term plan to replace Matt Ryan, even though they restructured his deal, put on a lot of dead money for the 2022-2023 season, which would lead you to believe that he's going to be there for at least two more seasons of that contract until he'd be, I believe, 37 years old, 36 years old. Matt Ryan's draft year was 2010. He was the year after Matt Stafford, 11, 35. Yeah, he'd be about 35, 36 years old when the Falcons would be able to move on from him in a financially responsible manner. I think the Falcons go quarterback, I think the Jets go quarterback, and Carolina and the Broncos are the wild cards where they could very much so be in the market to trade up. And I wouldn't count out New England... I know that anecdote is out there. I cling to this one a lot, and it's why it's one of the reasons I still defend Baker Mayfield as a prospect and as a player at the NFL level at this point. Bill Belichick wanted to trade up in that draft to, to take Baker Mayfield if he didn't go first overall to the Browns. Building up to that draft, the consensus was that Sam Darnold was going to go first. Saquon was going to go second to the Giants. And then you had a discussion on the next quarterback in that class, whether it was Lamar Jackson, whether it was Josh Allen, whether it was Josh Rosen, or whether it was Baker Mayfield. It depended where you fell, but Bill Belichick and the Patriots were supposedly going to be trading up to get Baker Mayfield. And if Bill, I know Bill is catching some flack right now for how last season went and The football media that spent the better part of the last 15 years making him a god in the football universe have been ragging on him pretty hard. I still think Bill is the best coach of all time, and he's a pretty good talent evaluator. If he was going to trade up for Baker Mayfield, I believe in Baker Mayfield. Same thing here. If Bill thinks that Fields, that Trey Lance, that Mac Jones is the guy he needs to have, he's going to go get him. He's going to go and get them and make it happen. Now that I've talked a little bit about your quarterback, your principles, I do want to talk a bit about free agency and just the uses of it. I'm not the first individual to make this point. But free agency is to fill immediate holes in your roster. You have to keep in mind the type of players who become available in free agency. These are guys that are either coming off of a franchise tag and looking for a big payday. These are players who did not have their fifth year options picked up. These are veteran guys who are maybe on their second or third team looking for one more, two more chances at competing for a Super Bowl, looking for financial security. There are guys who are just hunting Super Bowls that are only going to consider going to contenders. they are going to be depth players looking for bigger roles on different teams, maybe a team with a better system for their skill set. All of these factors. You have to consider all of the pieces when you're making these decisions. Historically, great players don't become available in free agency because the power structure of the league... Allows teams to franchise tag them two separate times. By then, you're 29, 30 years old. You sign one good deal, you're out of there. Look at Dak Prescott. Dak got drafted five years ago now. And it took him forever to finally get paid. And the Cowboys did the right thing by paying him. They probably overpaid him a little bit in relation to where he is in terms of the quarterback position. But... They did the right thing paying him, and if the Cowboys had managed their assets better, if they had paid him two years ago instead of franchise tagging him twice, the cap hit wouldn't be $40 million per year. It would be somewhere in the mid or low 30s, which would be a lot more palatable. Big picture free agency is for filling holes. You're getting guys in to roles based on their traits or their production. When I say a guy's traits, I mean someone who's a flyer, a project, someone with an injury history, someone looking for a chance. The perfect flyer example in free agency is the giant signing John Ross, the guy who went in the top 10 of the draft, who ran the fastest 40 in his draft year, that suffered a litany of injuries to his lower body over the years. The Bengals did not pick up his fifth-year option, and they signed him for pretty much nothing. And... He's going to only be a situational guy if he magically recaptures the magic he had in college, that burner straight line speed. The Giants make out like bandits for one year of production and John Ross goes and gets paid next year. That's perfectly fine. On the other end of the spectrum, you have someone like Kenny Galladay. No, this is not going to be me bashing Kenny Galladay. Don't worry. Relax. Don't be nervous. Giants did overpay for Kenny Galladay, a little bit. 18-ish million per year AV is a decent amount of money for a player who's never played in a meaningful football game in his career. Yes, I understand wide receivers aren't as in control of the game as other positions. I understand it is a team game. It is not only about wins and losses in the NFL for players, because some players are very good, but they are not able to overcome institutional struggles like Galladay did in Detroit, like Matt Stafford did in Detroit. I just mean it in terms of Galladay's on a bad team. Bad teams are more inclined to throw more often because they're trying to make up score. The easiest way to make up score is to throw the ball efficiently, to push the ball down the field. Galladay is a walking big play. He's really good at contested jump balls, a master of breaking double coverage, and in theory, he should make the life of his teammates easier. Of Darius Slayton, of Sterling Shepard, of John Ross, and if the Giants happen to take a receiver in the draft, whoever that other receiver is, their life will be easier because Kenny Galladay will be on the field. When he was healthy, Galladay opened up an entire side of the field for Marvin Jones, who's had a really nice few years in Detroit as the number two receiver signed a deal in free agency this past off season. Galladay is the other end of that spectrum from John Ross. You're paying someone based on their past production to fill a glaring need on your roster. I understand why the Giants had to do it. Dave Gettleman is in a prove-it year. This is it. If the Giants stink again this year, Gettleman does not get to skate anymore. The money they've doled out between Galladay and Adoree Jackson. And yes, the Giants paid a free agency tax on both players. Quick refresher, if this is the first time you're listening to the show. I've called it the free agency tax. This is not a real thing. There is not a tax you have to pay for players when they're in free agency. But the market dictates that you're going to typically have to pay a guy at least a $1 to $2 million more than they're actually worth on open free agency because teams are going to be outbidding you. You're going to be in contention with other teams for a player, and it's the only time in a player's career where they can actively solicit more money from other partners. For the first four or five years, if they were a first-round pick and they had a fifth-year option, they did not have any agency over how much money they made. Their contract was on a sliding scale on their rookie deal, and the fifth-year option has a built-in clause of how much it's supposed to be. This is the first time Kenny Galladay's ever had real agency over how much money he was going to be able to make as a professional football player without financial constraints on the team offering him money aside from the salary cap. And he got paid, and I'm never going to blame a player for getting paid. It's the same thing with Leonard Williams. If a team is willing to give you the money, by all means, get your bag, King. Football is a brutal job. You don't get to play it for that long. The after effects of football are with you the remainder of your life. You never get to move on from the fact you played football. You're going to feel that in your body every day for the rest of your life. I'm never going to begrudge a guy for getting paid, period. Even on a bad contract on my favorite team, it's never personal. The team was stupid for giving them the contract. The player is not a bad person for getting paid. I know I got off on a tangent there. Circling back, circling back. Looking for that kind of production out of a player in free agency is risky. There is no guarantee Kenny Galladay will play as well as he did at any point during his tenure in Detroit. Daniel Jones is not as good as Matthew Stafford. The Giants' offense is not as good at pushing the ball down the field as Detroit's was the last few years. The Giants seem pretty insistent on wanting to use power running game, not a zone run, a power running game, and the occasional deep shot without a lot of play action, without a lot of pre-snap motion, all the things that are there to make your quarterback's life easier, the Giants haven't done a lot of that. I worry a little bit about how Galladay will fit in the offense. I don't think Jason Garrett is a total idiot. I think he even he can figure out Des Bryant, Kenny Galladay, Amari Cooper, Kenny Galladay, I can use this guy like I've used those big X receivers in the past in my career. If Garrett can't figure that I, Either way, Garrett probably shouldn't be the offensive coordinator past this year, but that's neither here nor there. You can't win the Super Bowl in free agency. That's the big talking point that always circles back around, that has a real presence in the media landscape the first week and a half, two weeks of free agency because some team is always going to be willing to throw a boatload of money at their problems, because one team always has cap space. They always There's always going to be a team that has $70 million in cap space with a number of holes on their roster and be willing to get marginal or average guys, throw a little bit of extra money at them to incentivize them to come to a bad team. I'm looking at you, Miami. I'm looking at you, Jacksonville. The teams that historically have thrown money in free agency, just to try and solve their problem without any real rhyme or reason. That is where the you can't win in free agency comes from. The Jets have thrown a, bun- a bunch of money out in free agency. The Patriots have thrown a bunch of money out in free agency. I don't know how much better those teams actually got in terms of wins of losses with the guys they added. I like all the guys they added. New England added a bunch of talented players. Nelson Aguilar had a really nice season last year. Yes, he'll be a meme forever, but he was really good for the Raiders last year. Kendrick Bourne is a receiver with some offensive upside. Hunter Henry and John Smith is my Madden player dream because I've always loved running two tight end offenses because the Patriots have always had such meta plays in Madden. uh, Yeah, I went full video game nerd. Meta plays are the dominant style of things that work. New England has a lot of crossing routes, and they have two tight end sets where you're able to run out of those formations as easily as you are able to pass out of them, which makes you a versatile offense, which doesn't allow the defense to read what you were going to do just based on the personnel you have on the field. It's one of the things that made the New England two tight end offense so dangerous at the beginning of last decade with Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski was they could run block and pass block extremely well as tight ends. And they could go out there with only two receivers, but those guys were just as talented at getting open as receivers. Yeah, that was another tangent. I like tight ends. One of my favorite positions, if not my favorite position in all of football. You can't win the Super Bowl in free agency. You can sure up holes. You win Super Bowls at the draft. That, that's the main thing I wanted to talk about in this last part before I got everyone out of here for their Wednesday the draft is where you make your money as a general manager it is the bulk of where the value on your team comes from not only because the types of talent you're able to acquire those players are cost controlled they have a ceiling for how much money they can make that is in the cba that's part of your team building process you have to be considerate of the windows of when your contracts line up which draft classes hit which draft classes have misses those are factors in your consideration of when you're ready to contend. Dave Gettleman had 2018 really bad miss for a draft. 2019, not particularly great. 2020 jury still out. This draft is a money draft. It's especially important for the Jets. I know I was just talking about the Giants, but as I was saying that, it made me, it hit me. This is a money draft for the Jets. You have two first-round picks. You might have two second-round picks because you're trading Sam Darnold for an extra one. You can get two guys in the top 32, four guys in the top 55 players. That's four day one starters you could be looking at really, really quickly. Four day one starters. You can knock out an offensive lineman, a defensive back, your quarterback, and then whatever else you want to do, whether it's a playmaker or a pass rusher, The opportunities of the draft are significantly more enticing than free agent to me. They always have been. I don't know how many people listening are Madden NFL fans, the video game franchise, Xbox and PlayStation. You know how there's always good guys in the draft, even the the Madden generated draft classes. There's always going to be first round players at the quarterback, receiver, running back position, the flashy ones. And then you know how there's like never anyone good in free agency aside from the occasional fluky one. Like I know I had one where Quentin Nelson, the Colts offensive guard, got to free agency somehow. I had one where Odell Beckham got to free agency. Things like that don't happen in real life. And that's me saying the the free agent classes in Madden are bad. The ones in real life are a lot worse. So look at the draft as your how we win the Super Bowl. Free agency is not how you win the Super Bowl. Look at what you're adding. There are pieces you can add in free agency that make sense. You want to add a complimentary pass rusher. You want to add a Chris Long type, a guy who's only going to make $10-$12 million a year to only really play in passing downs to pass rush. That is someone who can help you win a Super Bowl in free agency. The marquee guy you are signing as the biggest free agent, Albert Hainsworth, That guy's not winning you a Super Bowl. The margins are where you win in the NFL. It helps having elite players. You got to have the depth. Depth is so crucial in football. You have 33 guys who play every single week. Each of those guys has a backup except for your kicker and putter. You got to know where your roster's at and be mindful of that when you're drafting and when you're in free agency. When you're drafting guys, you gotta say, is this a guy that works for us? Not is this guy talented? Not do I like his traits? Does he fit what we want to do? I'm not a big proponent of the culture stuff that has infected sports talk. I'm not a body language guy. I'm not a effort guy. I know when a guy fits with the team that takes him. It's pretty easy to tell when a guy isn't clicking with what's around him. As a quick refresher, draft your quarterback. Not a quarterback, not a talented quarterback. Draft your quarterback. Read allegations, listen to victims, even if they are public figures you have respect for and have liked. I like Deshaun Watson a lot as an athlete. I am going to reserve judgment until the facts are brought to light. Be mindful of what you say and how it affects other people when it comes to sexual misconduct and sexual assault. Those are very serious problems and very serious topics. And just because Deshaun Watson is a football player does not mean he is entitled to additional leniency or respect in that matter. Yes, that was very legal ease, but I want to be careful with how I phrase things because it, it's serious. It's very serious when it comes to pro days. If there's not a video, don't believe it. If you had told me Rondell Moore squatted 600 pounds while only being five foot seven, weighing 180 pounds, I probably wouldn't have believed you. But I saw a video, so I believe it. Forty times, if I don't see a clock and clear demarcations where the cones are. I'm going to hold out reserve on someone's 40 time. There were some good times. Rondale Moore ran a four two eight. This is one of those times where I really wish we had the NFL Combine because I keep going to say, I'll wait till I see it at the Combine. A pro day doesn't really matter. Of course, because of the pandemic, we're not having the Combine this year, which is something for football nerds like me to just bask in the magic of projection and believing in people solely based on what you saw them do in college which could be entirely different from what an NFL team might ask them to do. Use free agency to fill holes in your roster. Do not use it with an intent to change the dynamic of your team. And expect free agency to be the difference between a good team and a bad team. Last, but not least, probably the most important football thing. The Deshaun Watson story is the most important thing. The thing that is not Deshaun Watson related, I want you to take away from this episode is to be mindful of where the information you are reading or listening or seeing on television is coming from. If it is an NFL insider, you have to think about who the information they are repeating on air or writing is benefiting. Is it benefiting a team looking to move up in the draft? Is it benefiting a team that is looking to move back in the draft? That is where you can get a starting point of the origin of that rumor. If you heard something to the effect that the Dolphins aren't opposed to giving Tua some competition for the starting job, that might come directly from Miami. It could come someone secondary to that situation. It could come to some come from someone a little bit removed from the situation who's trying to look out for someone who might get drafted. If you're Justin Fields' agent, you leak that, yeah, we talked to team X, Y, and Z. To the right person, that information might make a difference. If the Broncos have their hearts set on getting Trey Lance, and you hear the Jets went to Trey Lance's pro day, they've sat down with him, they've had multiple meetings with him, the Jets just might be trying to rattle your cage a little bit. They also might be trying to bait you into trading up just to see what you'd be willing to offer to go up and get it. I don't think the Jets are going to trade out of two, but if you heard something like that, it wouldn't be impossible. The information you are seeing in print, on radio, and on TV is all coming from somewhere because those people have an interest in that information being out. As much as I hold the ideology of journalism up, that I believe it's important. It's important to hold people in power accountable. The vast majority of professional sports media in today's day and age is stenographers for the rich and powerful to dictate what's going on around them through a medium to let other people know what they're doing without directly knowing what they're doing. That was a mouthful. Be back tomorrow. Formula One. Drive to Survive Season 3 dropped on Netflix. One of my really good friends, she's absolutely hysterical, is going to be on to talk about how she got into Formula 1, the season of Drive to Survive, which came out last Friday, and the Formula 1 season, which starts this upcoming Sunday at Bahrain. Very excited for the return of Cargo Zoom. I will see you guys then. Have a good Wednesday.